This is Women in STEM Career and Confidence, the podcast for scientific and professional women who want to restore confidence, make meaningful impact, and balance the things and people that mean most to them. I'm Dr. Hannah Roberts, and I'll be sharing with you insights and inspiration into the mindset and skill set to help you navigate your career and lead powerfully. It's recorded live and outdoors. So anything could happen. I am live in the Career Launchpad Challenge. Hooray! (laughs) So I hope you've all had a really, really good day. And thank you so much for those people who have already responded to the first task. That was really helpful. And such a variety of responses too. I know that when we do these challenges, what people tell me is that they love to read the responses from other people. Good evening, Carrie. Great to have you here live. And as you're coming in on, on the live, just say hello. Um, so say hello in the comments and the chats. And I will be answering the questions that have already been left me. But if you have more comments about what I'm discussing on tonight's live, or if you have further questions, you can always add them to the comments section as we get going tonight. So, um, so, needs approval. Can't find the live stream. I'm here, Erica. I hope you can find me. <laughs> we shall find. We shall. We shall find out soon enough. Okay, let me find the questions and then we will get started. Okay. So I, I have my computer behind me so um, so that I can read the questions because I can't access the questions and be live on the phone at the same time. I haven't quite figured out the technicalities of doing it an efficient way, but this is the way that seems to work for me at the moment. So <laughs> there we go. Um, okay, let's go for question number one from Alice. And if you hear some noises in the background, that's just um, Oscar and Jensen who are not in bed yet. They're on their way. Elsie's in bed, apparently. Um, I did leave her there, so hopefully she won't sneak down as she sometimes does. But if we do, she will be having. Um, she will be coming coming live. Um, wants to be in my video. Carrie, did you have a question? Did you want to come on live? Let me know in the comments. Um, good. So Alice says. Thanks for your day one video. I would like to ask, which actions could I take to discover better my soft skills? And how can I find the right job that will give me the opportunity to use them? So really great question. First of all, I wanna take a moment to talk about soft skills and actually re sort of redefining the word soft because soft to me when it comes to skills makes me think that they are in some way inferior to um, technical or hard skills and they're not. They are absolutely as equally as important as those um, technical hard skills. So first of all, let's not call them technical, hard or soft. Let's just simply call them skills. So how do I develop skills? Um, So that's the first question. And if we are thinking about soft skills, I presume that you're talking about um, things like leadership-based skills or um, communication-based skills, things like this. But Alice, if you're around, let me know what your definition of soft skills means to you. But that's the sort of thing that's um, coming up in my mind. And 
The first thing is that on day three, so on Wednesday, we're going to be turning um, tasks that you do in your work into skills, or actually I like to call them talents. So you will be doing an exercise to start to figure out better what those um, transferable skills are when it comes to soft skills. So you could use this as an opportunity to um, apply it to your soft skills as opposed to maybe some technical skills that you do. So um, I hope, hope that you can take that opportunity, Alice. And when it comes from turning your tasks into skills, we're starting to think about work that, um, tasks that we do um, every day in our day-to-day -day work that really interests us and excites us. And we're thinking about what's the actual talent or the skill that I'm using to get that thing done. That's the place to focus in on. And they really start to be referred to as transferable skills. So when you're writing things like um, highlighted skills in your CV or in your cover letter, you'll often start with a soft skill or a technical skill, plus an example of that particular skill, plus an outcome, a quantifiable outcome. So for example, I might say one of my skills is thinking on my feet. And then I might give an example and I was able to do that with GSK's Women's Leadership Initiative with over 300 people by having an online live coaching demonstration and um, resulting in X number of people doing X, Y, Z. So it's being able to quantify that result as well. So whenever you're using um, a skill, you want to give an example and a quantifiable result. So, um, the second part of the question is how can I find the right job that will give me the opportunity to use them? So often we are trying to squeeze our skills and our qualifications into roles that are available. And fundamentally, I believe that that's the wrong approach to career planning. Unless, of course, you're in a really tight bind and you just need to have something in order to look for something else. So, of course, we have to manage our downside. If we have to pay the bills, then yes, we might need to do that. But if we're in a luxury or a um, time affluent period of our life where we do have time and space to think about this, then, um, then my thoughts are that actually you've got the time and space to really think through. Um, so when it comes to finding the right job that will give me the opportunity to use them, Instead of squeezing ourselves into what's available, instead we start to think about the value that we bring as a person. And you may have heard me talk about value before in terms of your vision, so where it is that you're going out there in the future. And yes, you can define that. It's not some arbitrary thing that, um, some dream that comes to you, or it can be, but um, it is something that we can, um, we can have a, an exercise that actually gets us to that point. So we would want to know what your vision is, what you care most deeply about in the world, what the bigger differences you want to make. And then there's your pur purpose. So the big why behind you do what you do. If you think about my particular purpose in, in my business of working with women in, in STEM subjects, I would say the biggest purpose for me is justice. That we have this unequal career pathway for women and women's retention in sciences and it's unjust and there's that sense of justice that fires me up each and every day to go out and almost fight the good fight. <laughs> 
So that's definitely something for me. And if you think about my vision, my vision out there is around women's equality, particularly when it comes to leadership and leadership positions. Because for me, once those positions are, have equality, it's gonna filter down to, to every, every aspect of our lives. So there's that piece. Then there's the mission. The mission becomes the specific what it is that you're doing day to day to express that in the world. So I could express that, um, and I, had, I did do when I first started my coaching business, purely through one-to-one -one coaching. So that could be my, my mission. My mission could be to um, help people at an individual level with tools and skill sets to be able to lead powerfully, things like that. But over time, that mission, the way in which I'm expressing that mission is changing slightly as I learn more deeply about my own natural talents and capabilities too. So um, around year two of my business, um, I started to increase the amount of training that I was doing. So workshops and events, and that's increased further in year three of my business as well. So I'm starting to really step into my natural talents and capabilities. So yes, one of my natural talents is coaching. So that puts me in the kind of when we talk about talents, it puts me in the supporter type role. And creating stuff like this that we're, we're doing today is another one of my talents. But I guess the sweet spot is somewhere in the middle for me, being able to, um, to train and work with lots of people at the same time. That's Jensen in the background, by the way. <laughs> so our mission becomes the way in which we're gonna express this in the world. And really closely hand in hand with all of this is our natural talents and capabilities too, because I could have that vision, that purpose, that mission, but if it feels like hard work, if I'm in what I like to call the capability trap where, um, yes, of course I can do whatever it is that I'm, I put my mind to, but it doesn't necessarily mean that I should. So yes, I can be a scientific project manager, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that's, that's um, where my natural talents lie. In fact, it was super hard for me to be a scientific project manager because I'm just not hardwired to do that at all. So the way in which we're expressing that in the world also needs to be aligned with our natural talents and capabilities. Otherwise, it's gonna feel like hard work. And when we really step into natural talents and capabilities, it puts us in flow, it makes everything much easier, and we get to be even more brilliant at the thing is that we do that really lights us up in the world, that, um, that brings us joy and happiness. We get to be even more brilliant at that, as opposed to struggling through, through doing something that isn't really meant for us, it's meant for somebody else. And then the final piece of that value really is your own personal values as well. Now, I like to separate these out into both life values and career values. Now, a value is simply um, a blueprint, a sort of unconscious blueprint for how we live our lives anyway. But once you can take that unconscious part and put it into consciousness, like on a piece of paper, you can start to see how, how, it, how you're currently showing up in the world and if that's really in alignment with who you are as a person. So I do some work with the University of Liverpool in a project called the Prosper Project, which is funded by the UK RI. It was a pilot project this year. We were about to go into year two in February. 
with the second cohort and I'm working solely with postdocs and in particular it's about unlocking postdoc potential and one of the things that I hear the most is um, particularly from the women in the group is I actually the men too who have young children or family how do I pick how do I pick what's right for both me without impacting what's right for the family and the way in which we always figure this this out because it's going to be different for everyone is through those life values so when you look at your life values someone might have making a difference right at the top of their list and then next might come um might come uh, connection with other people which for that they might be thinking about family members you know love connection intimacy Next on the list, it might be health might be really important to that person. Then it might be freedom or excitement or joy. Who knows? Because everybody's list is going to be different. But you can see if somebody has family or what they get from family, like connection and intimacy at the top of the list and work comes second, making a difference, making an impact, creativity, however you express that as a value, comes second you're going to make a different choice to someone who has it the opposite way around where work comes at a higher hierarchy than the family. Now, none of them are right or wrong, good or bad. It's just what's right for that particular person and how they live in the world. But that really helps us make some decisions upon what's right for us. Because, of course, if your equivalent to the family value is right at the top, you're going to make a different choice than if it was second on the list. And that might come down to, okay, I'm not prepared to move. I'm not prepared to move from where I live now and uproot my family because family comes first. Or if it comes second on the list, you might say, yeah, I am prepared to move um, for my family. So it starts to make these decisions even, um, even easier for us. The second part of those values are career values. So career values for me are all the criteria that you need in order to feel fulfilled and happy in the world. So, for example, um, I was doing career values with someone the other week and they said that in order to feel fulfilled and happy in the world, they actually needed to work with other people. They needed connection with other people in order to be okay. So for them, picking a job that's fully remote with no team it's not going to make them feel fulfilled and happy. So we usually have about five to ten um, of these career values and you can absolutely define them. And then what you can say, and I'm a big advocate of this, this is what I've, uh, this is what's going to make me happy. This is, these are my scores against my current position. How can I get even more of these things that will make me happy out of this current position? Because so often we go, oh, this, this role is terrible, this place where I work is terrible, only to find that you pick yourself up, put yourself somewhere else, and the same thing replays out time and time again. So the best situation is always to make this one as good as it can be, and then also define what you want, all the other pieces of the puzzle, and take action towards that at the same time. So I'm a big advocate of make the best of this current situation and restore your confidence and also define what you want. So in answer to your question, Alice, how can I use them to find the right job that will give me the opportunity to use them? It's first of all, let's define those soft skills that you're already currently using 
in terms of the tasks that you do and the talent that that brings. Then look at your natural talents and then start to define all the other pieces of the puzzle. And then of course, on top of that, we're also layering on how do I position myself in the marketplace? So how do I start to um, search for these talents in job specifications? How do I present my talents in the way that I brand myself and market myself? And how do I create a network to be able to um, support me when I need it the most? Not, oh my goodness, I need a job now. Where is my network? Oh, I forgot to do it. <laughs> That's what's gonna give you the opportunity, all of those key components together. So I hope that helps Alice. And let me know what you think of that in the comments below. Um, and if you have any questions on that as well. Okay, Alice is saying, in addition, I want something different for my career, but how do I know what this new challenge is that I feel, um, oh, how can I know what this new challenge that I feel I need is and how can I make it real? So I think if you start with the natural talents as a starting point and also define those other components, the, the oh my computer's just turned off. Sorry, it went dark then. Um, then work on the vision, purpose, mission, as well as the natural talents, the values. That's when you can start to make it real because then you've got this, this is where I'm heading. You've got some definition behind what it is that you want. Then we can move on to that next step of, branding yourself, positioning yourself, and marketing yourself for that challenge. I hope that makes sense. Okay, Angela. I feel a bit lost. I'm not working at the moment. After 14 years of working in science and living in many places, I'm back home in Spain, and the job I got here didn't work out well. I'm sorry to hear that, Angela. I would love to find a way to work using my soft skills, more soft skills, more, and get back the energy I used to have. Okay, so a question, first of all, that's coming to me here is around getting back the energy that I used to have. It sounds a little bit to me like um, maybe a burnout or close to burnout situation where you sort of had um, all these different places that you lived and you got home, you finally thought, yes, this is the one where I can relax and then the job's not worked out well. So that can be quite disheartening and particularly if you've been on overdrive for some time as well. So when it comes to getting back the energy you used to have, that's some things that you can work on immediately because once you've got a handle on the energy and built back up some of the confidence that seems like it might have been eroded along the way, particularly if you've had a situation that's not worked out well for you, that's the best place to come from when you're thinking about career, because if we're coming from a place of, I'm deplete, and my confidence is low, now I've got to figure out what's next, we're not gonna make the most empowered choices about that question. <laughs> That'll be Jensen, um, meet my middle child. Um, we're not gonna make the best choices, whereas if we can work out, I'm getting myself and my energy levels back, I'm letting go of the stuff that didn't work and didn't serve me and the beliefs that now I hold about myself but not helping me, then I can start to fulfill my full potential and follow what we just said in terms of defining your value. So if I wanted to start with reclaiming my energy levels, 
when you looked at what, in fact, what we've done today is really great. So if you did an audit of all of those different pillars of your life, I would look and I'd go, okay, where am I, where am I like not doing well with my energy here? Um, is it health? Is it relationships? What's, what's going on for me? And say it was health, say my health pillar had been suffering because I've been going far too fast for far, far too long. I would start to then be looking at, well, what would it be like if this time next year, I really focused in on that health pillar, for example, what would that look like to me? Oh, I would be um, overflowing with energy. I would be having a spring in my step. I would be um, fit and healthy and able to run, I don't know, 10K an hour, whatever it is for you. And then I would be mapping that backwards and saying, okay, what is, what is my starting point here? And what can I do next week where I can focus on health and really start to move myself forward? And that might be that I just get up every morning and I walk for an hour to start with. And once you start to show up at a specific time of day, that's when you'll start to go, okay, well, I'm up, I'm dressed, I'm ready to run. Yes, I could walk and eventually you'll start, you'll start to build up the capacity to run. Um, but it just starts by showing up. So I would be focusing in on those energy levels and um, there might be something in there, so a basic need that's missing, like food, sleep, water, exercise, fresh air, alone time, connection time, movement. It could be a whole heap of different things. So that's the place to look first. And then it's to really dig into sort of like a timeline. How have you got to this very point in your career? Where have been all the kind of sticky points along the way? And what actually happened there? And start to unpick those tangly little knots. Every time you made a decision, and you made a decision to move, what was underneath that knot? I think that's the place to get started before you start to make any plans from that place. Let's do the work, the underneath work first. Um, good. Any questions, let me know. So good one is saying, hi, Hannah. I have the intention that I will change jobs next year. Very exciting. But of course, I'm worried that I will just pick a job which is similar to what I'm doing now, simply for lack of creativity and thinking about other options. Do you have advice on how to expand my job prey scheme? Well, like that. <laughs> and avoid escaping one conveyor belt to simply land on the next one. Yeah, absolutely. So how exciting, first of all, that you set the intention to change jobs next year. And yeah, I can see how it can be quite, um, quite a worry to go, okay, I'm on this academic conveyor belt. If I step off, am I just going to step onto another conveyor belt? Because I haven't really thought about what else? What are all the options out there? Anita, I have to go. I have a meeting. Hope you can watch this later. You absolutely can, Anita. It will be in the group for you. Hope you have a good meeting. That's a late meeting, unless you're on the other side of the world. <laughs> um, <clears throat> okay, good one. So I think for you, it might be getting to the point now, um, because I know you've been working in my group for a month or so, it might, now might be the time to start to visit, visit that vision plan. Because once you've got that vision for where you're heading, the bigger difference that you feel called to make in the world, the other stuff starts to filter backwards. 
and you can and you can start to think about the specific what you're doing that mission that you're doing within that sometimes so when i work with the postdocs we have something called career clusters where um once you've got some key components of you know your natural talents vision purpose mission once you've got this defined you can start to look in little mini career clusters from there and um that can be helpful so there might be a career cluster on um for example patent law or um medical writing or this that and the other but remember that there are multiple different ways in which you can express your natural talents and your purpose so my thoughts are that as long as you've got the definition around everything else then it becomes a point of setting looking at those criteria and mapping it against the opportunities that are available or creating the opportunity for yourself so for example with um with my business i basically made up my own job i made up my own business and then i could express that in the world so you're not constrained by um by anything but for me it's getting the definition around the value first that's going to make the biggest difference for you um, and then you can start to think about other options. So for example, when we look at natural talents and capabilities, I use a profiling tool called Talent Dynamics, um, Talent Dynamics to map out your natural talents. So yes, we can do this ourselves, but there's also, um, also some profiling tools to help you. Once you've got that, you can then go, okay, um, I can look at a job specification and I can map out what talent dynamics profiles and energies are available and then I can start to say okay is it a match for me or is it not a match for me so we can start to take this to the next level both um, in definition but in practicalities too so then you can always think I'm never going to make a bad choice because I've got a way in which I can start to move forward and check if everything is in line with my value okay I hope that makes sense let me know have to say um <laughs> i was very rumbly on my live this morning so it's slightly better i'm hoping that um my brain kicks into gear this week <laughs> it's not too bad um good ones good ones laughing at me anyway it's all good rachel how do i make the decision to leave oh i love this question <laughs> how do i make the decision to leave I enjoy my current role. I'm adding value to the department and there's no looming contract deadline anymore. Woohoo! Security. But it's just, but is that just a safety net? I think I could progress much more outside of academia, but I struggle to see myself in another industry. So first part of the question, Rachel, is how do I make the decision to leave? So for me usually that is an intuition usually if you're writing it how do i make the decision to leave you've you've probably already made that decision probably in your body and now it's your logical brain's turn to try to justify whether or not that decision is right or wrong so i recently learned that um not everybody experiences that um inner knowing or intuition in the same way so for me, the intuition will be like a sacral response. I'll feel it. I'll feel it in my sacral or um, how to describe just below my um, belly button kind of area. And I'll be like, huh, it feels right or it feels wrong. So when I was picking um, the, the coaching qualification, 
that I was doing, it all felt really right. I was like, this feels right, this feels good. Every time I made a step, I was like, yes, this feels right. Every time I picked the right course or the right thing next, I could sort of tell yes. And sometimes when I wasn't sure, that's when I would take a moment to step back and go, hmm, not sure if it's right for me or not. And sometimes it would be a no. So I would get a yes, no, or hmm, don't know yet. <laughs> for other people, I'm told that intuition um, can be different. So for some people, um, they get an emotional wave and they have to kind of ride the wave and then see at the end of that emotional wave if it still feels good to them. And other people have to talk out their thoughts and their feelings and what they're thinking in order to, um, to then be able to in, have an intuition about, yes, this is right or wrong and make a decision. So I would say to you, Rachel, what does your intuition say about this? Have you already made that internal decision? And now is this the moment where you're trying to justify the decision that you've already made? So for me, if you, say, say for example, Rachel's already decided to leave that position in, internally, that intuition is saying, leave, leave. <laughs> then let's look at the second part and how that question would go. So if she's made the decision to leave and she's thinking about this as, okay, I've got this safe job and it's better than the last job because it's more aligned to my natural talents than before. I'm adding more value than I was as a postdoc and I like it, but I'm feeling like there's more. Outside of academia and moving beyond academia, there's something more for me, whether that's more money, whether that's more of another career value that is important to you in order for, for you to feel fulfilled and happy. There's something more out there for me. So what's stopping you? This one for me is at what's holding you back. And I think you've got the word there um, that might be doing some of this to you is safety. So if I've got a really strong value or need in life for safety, that is going to make it very hard to move beyond it without having all the information, all the detail, without needing to know everything before I could possibly move on. So I would be checking that out. Is that something that's really important to you? And how can you do what we call if it is safety, protecting your downside. So protecting your downside is if this didn't work out, could I go back to academia? Well, yeah, of course, of course you could go back to academia. Rachel is, oh, Rachel's here. So Rachel is saying leave. So she's already got the intuition to leave. And now it's about justifying and some procrastination. Of course it's procrastination because there's something in there that's in conflict within yourself. Um, and some slight terror at such a new everything. Yes, so this, we're getting to the crux of it, Rachel, because the crux of it really is, is what's holding you back. So if you've got procrastination, it means that um, most likely there are two parts of you in your brain that are in conflict. There might be the part that's like, yeah, let's go for this. We've been in academia so long. Let's go for something new. Let's go for something exciting. Let's go pay more money. Let's do something else. There's like that part of you that um, really wants to go for. And then there's the other part that's going, uh, hang on a minute, wait a minute. What if it doesn't work out? What if I can't do it? What if I'm not good enough? Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so there's another part. And interestingly, Rachel, we're going to be talking about that tomorrow. We're going to be looking at what holds us back. And in particular, those voices in our heads. So I would 
do a journaling activity for you and I would write out what those two parts are saying. So the procrastination, um, one part is saying, so one part of me is saying this and write out that. One part's like, yeah, I'm gonna go for it. And then, um, and then finish that. And then on the next piece of paper or the next paragraph, write what the other part says about it. And there might be more than two parts that have an opinion on this. So I would get those thoughts out from in your head and onto paper because then we can start to deal with them and unpick them and move beyond them. And that's what tomorrow is all about. So you're in the right place for all of that. Well done, Rachel. <laughs> Let me know if you have any comments on that. Okay, let's come to Alice. Alice says, Rachel's got the writing um, emoji. <laughs> She's on it already. Um, Alice is saying, how do I start to think about what direction to take? I don't know what the possibilities might be. I wonder where to start. Do you think speaking to recruiters might give an insight on what is possible in the industry? I feel like I need some ideas of what's possible to consider if they are right for me. For me, the issue with speaking to recruiters is they have an agenda in their mind. So if they are a recruiter for a specific company or a specific sector, they will have this, okay, you're in this position, you've got this background, therefore this is the only pathway in which you can progress. So it's, um, it's a bit like there's this company called Cheeky Scientists and it's all about getting PhDs into industry, but that's all they do. So if you're a PhD student, their, um, their thoughts are you have to transition into industry. And they have lots of different options and different roles and that's fine. But for me, it's missing the holistic view of what if this person wants to work in a not-for-profit? What if this person wants to start their own business? What if this person is great at a freelance model? What if this person wants to run for parliament? What if this person isn't designed to move beyond academia into industry and they're like forcing them down that route. So you've got to watch out for this stuff. Like their stuff is brilliant and is really helpful if that's what you want to do and you've already defined it. And it's the same way here with recruiters. You need to know what it is that you're asking them. Like they're great people to ask when you've got definition behind it because yeah, they'll tell you what the options are. They're also the best people to ask when it comes to salaries. You can say, what does this position, what it's, what's its market value currently? And you can kind of get a range and they'll say, okay, the market value of this, this position currently that they know of is between this and this value. They're great, great for that, but not that you shouldn't give them the power to, um, to make your decisions about what's next. That power has to rest with you and that comes back to definition of value to start with. Um, I hope that's helpful, Alice. So, Karina, what puts me off applying to jobs that are very different from my own is that I have to start from scratch on a low intern salary, while at the same time being overqualified in an academic sense. How do you make a switch to a job in another industry while making sure your current experience and qualifications are still valued? Okay, so thank you so much for this, Karina. Also a really excellent question. So when it comes to this, we are never ever 
starting from scratch in our careers. We're never going right back to the beginning, ever, because everything that you've ever done in your career comes with you along the way. Even the fact that, um, so I used to work in mass spectrometry and I know how to prepare samples and how to make instruments work and all that kind of good stuff. Now, you might think, okay, well, you're not using that in your career right now, but actually I am using the transferable skills in my career. So I, all of those problem solving and detail focused stuff that I find so very difficult, I learned to do over a period of time and it's so helpful to me every time that I'm looking over my books or I'm looking for um, scientific reports that um, support the theories that I have around coaching. So very helpful to have been a scientist, <laughs> to be able to do that in, in such a really easy and effortless way because I've got the skill set there. So we are never starting from scratch. If you decide to go down a completely different route as I did, so um, starting, it might feel like, oh, well, you were starting from scratch with coaching. Yes, I was starting a new qualification, new skill set. However, I had run a startup company before, so I knew how to run my own business. I had done X, Y, Z before. Therefore, your, your experiences travel with you and you can move through the pathways much more quickly. So you're never starting from scratch as an intern where it's going to take you 10 years to get to X position. If you have to go, um, what, like entry level with something, you're going to rapidly far outpass or outweigh everybody else at a much faster scale because of your background. Yeah, you might have to do it for 12 months, but then you're going to go really, really quickly. Whereas someone else who started at the intern level, it might take them 10, 15 years to get, get somewhere and it might take you two years. You're always taking yourself with you. So never think that you're starting from scratch because you're not. <laughs> um, bugbear of mine. Okay, so we've got two more for now. We've got Anita. I have a very diverse background of experiences and education prior to my science career. I am sociology, massage therapy, nursing, ESL teacher. Instead of this being an asset, which I think it is, I believe so too. I believe it's a big asset to have a diverse career. Instead of this being an asset, it seems to work against me when applying for new positions. Yeah, I understand that. I had someone tell me once I had a checkered history because I'd been outside of academia and come back again. Checkered history. Um, maybe we could say I've learned some additional skills outside academia and come back to put them to good use. How about that? I find myself in career limbo where I feel like I haven't found a path that really speaks to me. Is there a way for me to review my past career choices and effectively plan a new career path? For me moving forward one that feels that it's best suited to my personality and diversity of interests so yes everything that we've talked about so far is going to be really helpful for you anita in terms of that value vision purpose mission natural talents values life values career values professional positioning marketing we'll talk more about the um um, about the design stages in fact i think i showed you the pyramid today so it's all of those layers but for you, there's this, um, there's this piece, where is it now? Is there a way for me to re review my past career choices? 
and effectively plan a new career. So yes, I would be doing what's called a purpose timeline where I would create a full timeline of your career history so far. And at each moment where I've made a decision, I would look at what was driving that decision, what was underneath. So for example, um, if we were to look at my timeline, when I was eight years old, I made the decision that I was going to be a doctor. And what was driving that decision? What was the purpose? My purpose there was to help other people. It was also around um, interest in the area and making my mum and dad happy or proud of me. So seeking approval. So you could do that for every single um, choice or moment on that career history timeline and see if there's a red thread that moves between it. There often is. And um, usually we can find what the sticking point is or the red thread. And if it's a negative thing. So if you look through my timeline and you found that I was seeking approval at lots of different pivotal career moments, which you may or may not find, we then might do some work on letting go of the approval or the things that drive the approval in the first place. So that when we move forward from this point, I'm no longer pulling that red thread with me in a negative way. So um, yes, I would probably do that to start with as um, an interesting exercise to try. Okay, last question for tonight is Chandana. Um, hi Chandana, great to have you here. What puts me off is the admin work or paperwork I have to do. And I really hate it when I need to follow up and find out the other person has not done it and make me request it again, which is like his, her normal responsibility. <laughs> On top of that, they think it's absolutely normal. How do I make myself deal better with admin clerks or bureaucracy? Lovely, Chandana. Okay, my thoughts on this might be, how are you asking for these things to be done? So if we're not getting the response that we're looking for from the other person, usually it means that either we're not asking in a way that's getting heard by the other person like there's um the way in which we're speaking it's like they don't comprehend what you're saying and it's not filtering in so are we not getting heard or are we missing out a crucial piece of information that they need or an upfront motivation to get that thing done so for example if i'm asking someone to do a delegation task or an admin work i'll be stating this is the situation this is what I need. This is why it's important to me. This is what's in it for you. So usually that's how it fits into the bigger picture of that thing. And then is there anything more that you need in order to be able to complete upon that? And if it was a full delegation, I might walk them through what a successful outcome would look like and a timeline and then ask them, is there any more that you need from me to get that done? And if it's someone who I've not worked with before or who repeatedly doesn't um, doesn't respond to the requests on time. I might also say to them, I'll be checking in with you on Wednesday to, to note progress towards this goal and obviously noting that the final deadline is Friday. So you might do some micro accountability with people um, and making sure that those timelines and the deadlines are super clear. And then of course, when you start to develop trust 
with other people and that person is always delivering, you can start to relax a little bit on those interim checkpoints with them. So that's the first part. Are you asking in a way that they're hearing or is it so difficult to understand what it is that you're asking that they can't decipher it? So sometimes we'll say things like, instead of, this is a situation, this is what I need from you. We'll say things like, oh, remember the time when we did the thing and that thing and thing, and then that doesn't work, but we're doing this and we get all kind of um, caught up in the detail. Let's not do that. Let's be super clear and lay it out as it is. The second part of that was, are they really hearing me? Some, oh, Chandan is saying sometimes they feel that the micro accountability works in a negative way. So you could have a conversation with them and say, when I see you deliver this on time in the way in which I'm expecting, I can let go of the micro accountability because I can trust that it's going to get done. But if I'm not seeing things delivered on time, I feel that I will need to have some check-in with you to ensure that we're on track. So you can start to have really powerful conversations with people. Um, so that might be really helpful. And then they'll say, okay, well, I don't like being chased by this person five times a week, so I'll start delivering for them. So I'd maybe have a conversation. The second thing is, and something that I work with quite powerfully with my one-to-one -one clients, are the five women's power types. Now, whenever I'm doing something like this, a delegation task, it's often best come from what we call the queen power type. The part of you that is serene, graceful, and all-knowing. The part of you that brings order and structure. The part of you that is great at delivering messages to people. And I would say, you know, imagine yourself with the weighty crown, the robe flowing down. What would my queen say? How would my queen speak? What will my queen do about this situation? That can be really helpful. And what I'm not saying is put on a queen mask and pretend you're a queen. No, that's lack of authenticity. It's about saying, I can find a part within me that already knows how to do this, draw it to the forefront and bring it out when I really need it to get the response that I'm looking for in the situation. So you'll notice when I'm speaking from my queen, my tonality changes. I'm speaking from my throat center. I'm much more powerful and taking up space and holding the space for other people to do the doing. That's the important part. It's not the part of you that's rolling up your sleeves to get stuff done. That's a different power type. This is holding the space and allowing other people to provide for your vision and get things done. So... Have a little go at feeling into your queen power type. I think that would be really helpful, Chandana. Okay. Wow. We have loads of questions tonight. Thank you so much, everybody. And if there's another question that comes up for you, there will be another Q&A session. Well, there's one every day. The post comes out at midday, so you can always add your questions. And I'll be along that evening to answer any questions that you have. Um, but for, for now, I'm <laughs> going to have a rest because my brain and my mouth are not in sync today, but hopefully they will be back tomorrow in sync. And I hope you have a lovely evening and I will see you all for task two tomorrow and have a good, good time. Bye for now, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening to Women in STEM Career and Confidence. 
to get further support in your journey, join me in Breakthrough Unleashed on Facebook.